Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Who am I? I'm happy to report that I have Mr. INTP on the podcast again today. Last time we spoke about epistemology, how humans create meaning in their lives, and how meditation and certain drugs fit into that process. Today we continue on these topics. We talk about the relation between reality and our capacity to grasp it, how our knowledge of the world is based on the scientific method, and how common it is for you and me to base our entire thinking and our decision-making on theories that may be internally consistent, but are not provably true. They have merely not been falsified yet. You, you said uh, for today you would like to continue where we left off in our last chat, uh, which was December. And I'm glad you're back on. So let's continue. Where would you like to um, take us next? Right, so first of all, thank you for having me back on. I've enjoyed our last conversation greatly. And I've prepared a, a small summary or medium-sized summary of what we talked about uh, last time, um, shortened to the important stuff that's important for my view of identity, how I see identity. And yeah, I'd, I'd start with that. So we started with epistemology. We said that's um, the philosophy of, of what's true, of what can be known. And um, if we want to know about ourselves, I think we need to know about what is and what isn't first. Mm -hmm. And at the very beginning, I start from the position of the ultimate skeptic. So. Um, we are born naked in this world. This is a great metaphor, in my opinion, uh, which means we have no knowledge before we are born. We are born and then we we learn about this world in this world while being in this world. And that's not just true for us, but for all our ancestors too, which is really inter interesting, in my opinion, if you if you really think about it. Like, no one really knows anything. We all learn by trial and error. Mm -hmm. And so as the ultimate skeptic, the only thing that we can really know that we can be sure of is that we personally, um, everyone for themselves knows that we have conscious experience. That's the cogito ergo sum from mm -hmm. by René Descartes we started with last time. And that basically means we know we have an con a conscious experience, but everything else could be an illusion. The world could be an illusion. You could be an illusion. Everything could all be in, a mi in your mind, like in a dream. Mm -hmm. And that's the base. But um, every human we could discuss this topic with, including myself, um, we act like the perception of reality is real and meaningful and that you are real, that you are meaningful. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense to talk to you about it at all. And so we play this kind of game. We we set some rules. Um, in, in logic, we often call it axioms. We define rules and we play by those rules. We, we use these rules to understand reality, um, axioms. Unconsciously, right? Um, I don't know, maybe they're even inborn, who knows, to some extent. Yeah, this was a question I have. Um, do we choose 
to play the game or you say, okay, maybe it's genetic. Uh, that makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. Uh, but you and I are like to think deeply about things. So maybe at least we could decide to not play the game now that we have made some things that are usually unconscious for people a bit more conscious. Or do you think that we play the game and, and believe that our perception is real because otherwise our lives would lose all meaning and we would be depressed the last point you made um if you if you don't believe that the universe follows certain rules that we could spontaneously explode for some reason then we couldn't act in this world at all we would have no issue with taking our lives we wouldn't even talk everything would be meaningless so that's an emotional reason right that's that's to protect yourself from the unimaginable consequences if if yeah. life weren't real yeah and that's a scary thought <laughs> because it could yeah. be that everything isn't real and that we are all making this up or that i am making this up to protect myself to have some some security some stability Mm -hmm. Just like people in the matrix, even when they're confronted with the truth, uh, usually decide to take the blue pill because, or, or you, that, that one traitor even decided to go back into the matrix after he had left it because he is more comfortable with the illusion. But Absolutely. then there are some people like, I, I think I would be, I'm not sure about extreme situations, but in general, I prefer painful truth to comfortable illusions do you really though i, mean... I don't know if there is a if there is a limit but right. i th i think a bit more than than what i see with other people right i don't know myself well enough to know <laughs> um we talked about drugs the last time and i think when we get back to the point of drugs this topic may come back again okay. because in short like i said it changed your perception and yeah your sense of self and this question comes back like what is real what isn't okay to continue um axioms are things we agree on to be true without any proof um things we agree on to be true is that we exist or that the universe exists that we can interact with it that it follows certain rules and like i said we don't just spontaneously explode and if we build on top of those and if we for example have the theory of gravity um, if we find that on another part of the universe gravity doesn't hold like in space we just uh, extend the rules basically mm -hmm. um other important axioms are logical rules which is the most important of which in my opinion or from my understanding is the law of non-contradiction something can't be and not be at the same time mm -hmm. and other rules also um, help to coherently describe the world world without um, creating contradictions then um, yeah each and every one of us builds a conceptual world around us individually 
using these rules. We put concepts over patterns we recognize in order to understand the world. Like that's also what language is. We, we start from our viewpoint and everything has to be in some way uh, in a relation to us, what we are. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be related to something we can perceive. That's very egocentric, but <laughs> that's how we work. <laughs> I think so. I mean, yeah, like we start with time and space, hot and cold, good and bad. Everything is in relation to ourselves. Like space is um, there's the right now, and then there's um, in the future, and then there's back. But it's always we are the, at the center point, hmm. our consciousness. And the same with space, it's in front of us, it's behind us, it's above us, but it's always in relation to ourselves. And like I said, languages do the same thing. I can only um, tell you that something will be above you if you stand in the same spot as I did, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah, in uh, linguistics, this is called deixis or deixis, I'm not sure the use of general words and phrases to refer to a specific time, place, or person in context, like tomorrow or there. And words, such words are deictic, if their semantic meaning is fixed, but their denoted meaning varies depending on time and or place of the speaker, or like you said, sometimes the listener. Right. And yeah, that's pretty much all we can do as an experience in experiencing agent that is born naked into this world. We can define measurements of our perceptions uh, in relation to ourselves and we can um, communicate them or think about them, communicate with ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and then to understand reality and do what I think especially mammals do best is um, we have to create a model of um, reality that we can mm. predict things that we want to achieve. Like we have intrinsic goals, I think. Or yeah, you need some goals to um, act in this world. Otherwise we had no reason to do anything, to mm -hmm. move, to think. Yeah, another speaker uh, of my podcast said that um, we don't have the capacity to recreate all of the world outside of us in our minds, in our in our brains. I don't know if it's a physical thing or or just it would take too long. It's just not feasible. And so he called it heuristics. We mm -hmm. what what you call model, right? It's it's an abbreviation. It, it reflects, it models heuristically the world around us. And that's why we sometimes notice a conflict between the model and the reality. Yeah. And then we upgrade the, um, the beliefs, the rules. Yeah, and last time we also mentioned that our perceptions are faulty. Mm -hmm. Not everything we... Um, our models are based on our perceptions, but even they are bad. So it doesn't even have to be our bad models in itself. Yeah. And yeah, for example, a great um, example I always use is you simulate reality so you can um, alter, 
predict, you alter um, specific variables and then you can predict what happens. For example, if you want to throw a stone at a target, you uh, simulate multiple ways to throw the stone and you can predict if it goes above, below or hits right center. And um, that's a little off topic, but I also think we have an inner um, simulation or a simulation of ourselves, of things we don't perceive from the outside, like emotions, feelings, what we like, what we don't like, or goals. And I think that's very intrinsically linked to what we are, this thinking. Can you give me uh, an example? It sounds very abstract. <laughs> okay, so um, I have a simulation of the outside world including my body that I can perceive, I can touch my own body. That's also the outside world, but I can't really perceive my emotions or what I like. If I, for example, like cheesecake, mm -hmm. I can't touch this in any way, but I have a model of um, liking cheesecake. Mm -hmm. So I know if I, um, if I have cheesecake in front of me, how to act. It's, it's another. Yeah. When, when I see, when, when I'm cooking and I see, chocolate lying on the counter, I, I automatically feel what I feel when I eat chocolate. And then I have to consciously go against that desire to eat the chocolate because I'm trying to eat healthy uh, with, mm. with what I'm cooking. Is that what you're talking about? Where you, you have a, yeah. a prediction about what something will feel like again? Yeah, and what you act like, what kind of person you are. Mm -hmm. And again, with drugs, you have some, you can experience something called ego death, mm -hmm. where you are not this person anymore, where you're just experiencing, you're in the moment experiencing, you don't really think to the past or the future, you're in the moment and experiencing. And that's very interesting because um, experiments have shown for example if you react to something falling and you catch it your brain sends the impulse even before you consciously make this decision to catch it if not i'm not sure if you've heard of it no but similar experiments but it implies that your subconscious makes the decisions and your conscious mind is just a rationalization it's mm. kind of like the internal simulation that i that i talked about at least that's what I think about. Sometimes when I play word games on my phone, uh, something, something like a crossword puzzle, and uh, I have the letters to fill in, but I need to find out what is the word that I can, what are several words that I can build with these letters. Um, I will get a picture of something in my mind mm -hmm. of the word that I'm supposed, that I can create before the word is in my mind or before I have the feeling that I have come up with the word. So sometimes I'm aware of, of this happening, but most of the time it, it's just hidden, right? Yeah, and I'm not sure how much you've read or experienced um, yourself about meditation or other Buddhist uh, thoughts. And they often um, speak about calming your mind, like your brain constantly pushes uh, a thought one after the other. You get mm. uh, um, thought, 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 and you're consciously 
trying to calm this down and your consciousness isn't creating them. You're just getting them and perceiving them in some way. Okay, so calming is that you no longer get thoughts and that your mind can be empty to receive thoughts from somewhere else? No, I think we always receive thoughts from somewhere else. It's always from the subconscious or from wherever. (laughs) And um, we can maybe make a conscious effort to tell your subconscious or influence your subconscious to no longer spam you with um, thoughts that you don't want to have. Mm. That's again, the, the, the thing you experience during ego death is you're just in the moment and you experience the moment. And if you do the same thing with the meditation, you just um, calm your mind. You don't want to think in the conceptual world in the, in the simulation, to say, and you just want to experience the moment. I, yeah, I've heard of that. And I think it's a very pleasant state if you can get there. Um, I think it's very difficult, at least for me, because I'm not disciplined or trained, whatever, or experienced. And so what I often do is try to overpower my brain by giving it too many signals. And I think this creates a numbing effect. So I try to listen to a podcast, uh, play a game on my phone, just to to be so busy so that other thoughts that my brain is constantly giving me uh, are not coming through. And this is often something I do to fall asleep. Um, So I know it's, it's not supposed to be advice for anyone because if it doesn't sound healthy that's because it's not but i think this is more common than people believe uh for example gambling uh i don't know this from personal experience but but i heard that gamblers let's say they're on the slot machine they hate it when they win they want to be playing they don't want to win because then the playing is over they want to be in the moment of just being totally Uh, immersed in the game and it's out of their hand what happens it's just they're waiting to see what happens and they want to be in the state as much as possible whether they win or lose doesn't matter it's it's the process they want to be in to numb other unpleasant thoughts and feelings yeah this this reminds me of two states i've heard and read about um the one is like you said, it's escapism in some way. You don't want, you want to flee from bad thoughts and experiences. But there's also the state of, I forgot the name, but it's if you're very concentrated on one task and you're competent enough to achieve it, but it's not too easy, you're in this hyper state of flow. Of flow, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, the, the gambling thing reminds me of that even though gambling isn't really too skillful if you're on a one-armed bandit or whatever. Yeah, yeah so, so um, yeah, I guess I said that because escapism is kind of like meditation because it frees you from mm. something unpleasant, but obviously not in a healthy way and not sustainable either. Um, 
but it's kind of a, a cheap um, replacement. So I, I want to get there again, where I can allow my mind to calm down and, and feel serenity in a, in a more healthy way and sleep better, you know, have less nightmares, for example. Yeah, it's a skill for sure. It's something you have to train. But you like to make people aware that drugs can also help. Or, or would you say that drugs is another um, shortcut to get to such a state? Um, it's like many things. Um, it's a shortcut. You get there very quickly and you leave it very quickly. But um, you don't really know how to get there. It's a shortcut. You didn't go the hard way, the hard mm -hmm. road, and you didn't learn how to really do it in what all goes into it. So it's less valuable. I think... Oh, because you can't recreate it on your own? Is, right. And you, and you always need the drugs and you build up a resistance over time and then you need more and more or harder drugs? And with psychedelic drugs, it's less of an issue of mm -hmm. needing more and more. Like if you take it, you have a tolerance for one week and in this tolerance, it's really not feasible to take more. Mm -hmm. And after this week, you're back to the zero point and you can take it again. But is there a... Mm, frustration or uh, withdrawal when no, the no. effect wears off? Um, not at all. Okay. And before you started, like I said, it's, it's if, um, if meditation is climbing a mountain, psychedelics is being shot onto the mountain. You're instantly at the top and it's always very scary. Like every time I'm a little worried, even though I not, don't need to, but it's always intense and a little worrying. So why, why is it worth it then to do the hard, to go the hard road and to do the work and to earn the enlightenment? Uh... Um, I think it's because you really understand what goes into it. Another mm -hmm. thing is if, you, if you're born wealthy, rich, everything comes natural to, re to you. Mm -hmm. you. You have a great life and it, everything goes well. But if you start from the bottom and work yourself up and um, fight with yourself, be introspective and so on, you have a deeper understanding of what goes into it and you um, you overtake the other person. You, you end up in a better spot than the other one if you go to hard road. Mm -hmm. um, I have another critique maybe of what you said earlier. You mentioned tabula rasa, that we come into this life with no knowledge. Um, you have no children, I have no children, uh, but I have been around enough small children, and I've heard this from parents even more so, that they come into this life with a personality, uh, yeah. sometimes a, you know very strong or very obviously, uh, that, they, that they want certain things, that they are, I don't know, stubborn with certain things. So how does that fit in with, um, we pick up everything from our surroundings, from other people, from experience? I absolutely agree. I don't think we, what do they call it? Blank slate theory or yeah. something. Uh, I don't believe it. I think a lot of it is genetic of our goals, of our personality even knowledge, like I said earlier, the logic or something, I think it comes naturally. It comes from genetics probably. 
um, but it's again something that we just have like the example of something someone born being born rich and everything comes naturally to them you don't have an understanding of it you don't really know why it's better to trust your mom when you're born or something it's you have um trends you have you have i think genetic nudges into directions of thoughts you, like it's it's um you have some hardware and only specific software or, or some software is more likely to be run on it or to fit to this hardware mm -hmm. if you get the comparison i, I think so I also want to tell you how this reminds me of uh, Chomsky's universal grammar. Um, mm -hmm. He says yeah. that everyone is born with a language faculty and it's genetic. It's just part of being human. Uh, but, but then the question is, why does everyone speak a different language or have a different worldview? I mean, maybe Western people have, we could say, have a very similar worldview. But then there are people who um, believe that every everything is a spirit, or uh, I don't know. Some maybe indigenous people will have a different worldview. So, so this is the kind of differences we're talking about. There is a, a variety of worldview and and just basic concepts that people work with, and and his answer is to to say that. Yes, everyone has the same faculty, so potential, or I think this is what you called hardware, uh, but then it depends on the input, the signals from the outside, uh, especially from your parents and then your community, because you end up speaking their language and adopting their worldview, no matter who your biological parents are. So you can take a um, a Chinese baby and bring it to Brazil right at birth and raise it with Brazilian parents and it will speak exactly the same as people who have lived in Brazil for generations. So that, that's a fascinating thing, uh, this, this first language acquisition. Um, and I think that goes along with what you say. He, and and uh, one, one way he explained it was that we all have uh, switches and the signal then flips the switches in certain ways so that we have uh, uh, one of the many possible configurations of the uh, human language faculty. By the time we are six or eight, you know, you have learned your native language and everything after that is done, is learned more in a way that people learn a second language, which is fundamentally different from learning your first language. Yeah, and um, with heritability studies, like we have um, twins and one is in one family and you put the other twin in another family, then you see that um, even things like religiousness is heritable. Hmm. Um, how likely you are to be religious and it doesn't even matter which religion, it's just a propensity or a, how likely you are to accept it or to, to, to like it, I think. You're saying that's encoded in your genes and I you pass so. it on? Yeah. Okay, so, so that's a counter example, right? To, to what I said about language. 
because there it's totally replaceable where where you grew up. Mm, I don't think that they're really related. I mean, okay. you ca could have a child that is very high in religiousness and you could put it everywhere in the world and it, it would adopt the religion of their um, their new parents. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's also someone that isn't high in this trait, re religiousness wouldn't um, be particularly religious. Hmm. I mean, it's hard to say um, if it's causal or not, or if it's just uh, another effect we find, but who knows? Hmm. No, I'd never heard of those studies. I heard that you can pass on that. Uh, I, I don't know the study. I just heard this from a friend that, that the, the, the young people now uh, have grown up or not. We, so we're old enough to be, to be parents. We learned to use the new technology, let's say touch screens, and to use our thumbs a lot more than our parents. And so I, I heard that this knowledge or this propensity, this, this uh, talent at using your thumbs on touch screens all day, every day is something that can be passed on to the next generation. Does that make sense with what you have heard? Isn't that uh, one of the alternative theories to evolution they had? Like um, a giraffe has a very long neck because they always stretch their necks all day and then their children also have longer necks or something? I don't know. I don't know if that's a good example because when I was on a safari, I, I didn't believe this when I first heard it. The, the tour uh, guide said, you see these giraffes? Uh, this was in South Africa, in, in uh, near Cape Town. You see these giraffes? They have long necks. And then giraffes in another part of the country or the continent have shorter necks. Do you know why? Because the trees here are taller. <laughs> so I, I didn't believe this at yeah, first, I but, think... but they, the, the giraffe grows as much as it needs to to get the food from the tree. And is that something that can change from one generation to the next? I, I haven't looked into that question. Or is it something that just every animal so. learns anew? <laughs> that gets passed so on? So I don't believe the thumb thing you said. And I don't um, believe the, the next thing with the giraffes. I think over many generations, they um, are more fitted to their environment, and if they all the if the family of this giraffe always lived in this environment, then they have necks up to the tree tops. Okay, so so maybe what the I'm not sure if is... you have one giraffe and put if you have one giraffe and put it um, in the other environment, I don't think they suddenly have a longer neck or <laughs> okay. learn to have a longer neck. So so maybe it's it's just true but over several generations it's it's a slow process it's a microbiology uh, right. micro evolutionary process right it's um survival of the fittest basically if you can't mm -hmm. reach the tops then you're more likely to, to die off mm -hmm. okay we, we got onto this topic because we wanted to find some examples for how things are hereditary 
are passed on through our genes and some things are just in every human from the beginning. I was trying to recap how we got onto this topic. Uh, okay, let's get, um, yeah, let's get back into the, the notes. So where we left off was um, to understand reality, we create models and to be able to predict and act, we have to understand relations between patterns we recognize. And um, for example, there was a time before numbers, the relationship between counts and materials, th material things must have been like magic. Hmm. If you, for example, in the morning, you put a pebble in the bucket for every sheep that leaves the stable. And at a, in the evening, you take out a pebble for every sheep that enters the stable. Uh, you magically know how many sheep haven't entered the, the stable yet. Hmm. And if you don't know how they are connected, this really must have been magical. But that's one of the relations that we, um, we find in order to explain our world. And that's a good relation we found, but there's also bad relations we can come up with. Like for example, a magical troll behind the moon causes uh, the pebbles to be in relation to the sheep or something. We could make up an infinite amount of explanations and relations between the things we find. Now, is this uh, something that we could be doing right now like coming up with false models of our uh, experience that's what we do all the time because i think or i have come across uh people including doctors who say that um the the theory it's 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 accepted by everyone right now, but it's only a theory that viruses are contagious. And, and they say it's wrong. They, I, I want to read, for example, the book, uh, The Contagion Myth. Um, I think bacteria has been shown to spread from person to person, but viruses have not. And that actually this whole idea of going viral is something that is false and that has been injected into the education and the, the medical system. So with Corona going on, this is a very current topic. Yeah. And I've also read a lot about it. Um, there's also like many years ago, I've heard about the questionability of AIDS, of the AIDS virus. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just um, um, an immune disorder. You have a bad and unhealthy lifestyle, then you get AIDS. And now I've read more and more stuff about viruses in general being very questionable, the existence yeah. of viruses. Yeah, one explanation is that they are just um, material that we shed because it's, uh, it's a toxic. The byproduct of our cells, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know if exosome is the right term, but it, it's something that we no longer need and it's something we produce. And so I don't know how so the the tests for viruses are are you shedding this toxin <laughs> uh, which it's actually good to get rid of this stuff but th that is when you have symptoms 
So when you have the flu, it helps you to get rid of all the, the slime or the toxins, they're, they're bundled and then you, you cough them out, you sneeze them out, you blow them out, out of your nose. Um, maybe your uh, digestion system is, is rebooting itself. It's actually a healing process. It's not something bad that we need to protect everyone from. <laughs> and so I wonder how deep is has this myth gone into the the public consciousness for the last hundred years that it is commonly accepted common knowledge common sense for things to go viral and and everyone needs to be protected with masks and distancing and vaccines <laughs> you have to question a lot of things if if you start uh, being skeptical about that from what I've heard, they haven't really done um, the. They haven't tried to falsify these theories. They uh, didn't uh, put both healthy and these vi also viral and non-viral um, mat material into living organisms and looked uh, if they behave differently, for example. And they have never proven that what you said that. Um, that the virus spreads in animals. Like if you have one animal and it's infected, that the others will be infected as well. Yeah, it's called the They've germ never theory. Done these theories have these tests. Yeah, those are called. It's called the germ theory. If if you believe that a virus uh, spreads from one being to another, and um, competitive theories are like uh, environmental, for example, that if something seems to be spreading in a crowd, then it could just be something outside, some signal uh, that causes the people or the animals to become toxic. There could be um, radio, um, no, what electromagnetic waves that are messing up our system and keeping it from keeping itself working and clean, uh, you know, things like 5G or, or just electromagnetic waves in general are never studied enough to disprove these things before the technology comes into the market. We just buy our phones and and uh, build radio towers everywhere and then trust the people that, that say they're safe. And once it's on the market, it's everywhere. You can't have a control study anymore. If there's money to be, to be made, then health and ethics are second rate. It's not as important. Yeah, so that's always disappointing. Um, but it shows so, yeah. you the, the importance for doing your own research and, and not trusting someone in authority or trusting uh, a news source just because millions of people have always trusted it. Right, and that's, like, like I said, we always make up these uh, theories that could be completely nonsensical. We can make up infinite amounts of these, um, but we need a filter to find out which are relevant, which are which have explanatory and predicting power. And that's basically the scientific method. That's mm. the best we have found so far. So what's the scientific method? From my understanding, it's uh, you test a theory, you make up a theory first. So it's always fictional first. It's always- um, Assumptions, yeah. Right, you you make something up. It's not something you find. You 
it's always created. And then you test this theory on all possible axes of measurement. Again, the measurement thing, everything is in re relation to us. Yeah, you, you try to you try to keep some variables the same, and some will have different values or, or different states, so that you can find out what is the dependency between the various input values and the outcome. I am looking at it from a um, far farther view than you are right now, mm -hmm. and what every scientific field does is basically the same. They test if it's possible. If it's internally consistent, like logic, if it doesn't contradict itself, if it's externally consistent, if it's empirical, if you um, find proof for it in reality, and so on, like there's multiple dimensions that we tested on. Mm -hmm. And then we take protocol of how we execute it and re we report the results so that everyone can repeat it. And that's basically, or that can be seen as testifying, like in court, you you testify that you did your due, due diligence to make sure that you did not make an error and that you're that you aren't trying to deceive and you're risking punishment if people find out that you did not um, do your due diligence do you know hmm. what i mean yeah um maybe you could give a, a an example for how responsible someone is to uh, to prove or how much can you give if us you, an example if for example it comes out that you've um, faked your statistics that you've um, consciously or if you even if you made a mistake but a very obvious mistake in biasing your population or something mm. you risk your whole um, credibility No one will listen to you. All your prestige is lost if you, if you find out that. Um, so this is not just in a court of law, but also, like, what you described reminds me of the academic society. Yeah, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Um, in the world of science, we testify like in a court. Oh. If you actually testify in a court, you risk other punishments like jail or something. Mm -hmm. But in the scientific community, you risk uh, losing your prestige and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard from some uh, researchers that sometimes your credibility or you know the likelihood that someone will listen to you and, and take you seriously depends on how much gray hair you have. Um, <laughs> not, not your publications or your findings or your personality even. So there are lots of also unscientific things that, that go into this. And uh, I've also heard that sometimes a generation of scientists have to die before an idea can be mm -hmm. become mainstream because they have uh, such a resistance against novel ideas. You know, they're not willing to change the rules. They would rather ignore the data to, to ensure that the rules are still valid. Yeah, it's, it's very common to have personality cults and movements that all follow and even cheat to prove their, their foregone conclusions. And I think it's very natural, like the older people, especially, they, they're comfortable and they don't want change. They don't want risk there. And young people, on the contrary, they are risk. Um, they, they seek out risk 
because with more risk, you have um, higher payouts. I mean, if, you, if you're young and don't have much, then you can't lose much, but you have a lot to gain. Hmm. Reminds me of me talking to my parents about Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> they want nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, or on the smaller scale, my dad is all into Bitcoin, but uh, doesn't go into all altcoins at all. Hmm. Okay. So it's the same thing in a smaller scale. So yeah, every theory that survives this process is only a truth candidate and will never be more than a truth candidate. You can't- Yes, nothing is provable, right? It's only- Right, um, you can falsify. Yeah. And it's impossible to declare something as true. Mm. And uh, there we also have Occam's razor, like the most simple theory is more likely to be the good one, the best one, because it's easier to falsify something that's um, less complex. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I, I'd never seen Occam's razor that way. I just thought uh, if something is simpler, then it's more likely. Kind of be because when you um, are trying to find the theory of everything, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. uh, physicists uh, are sometimes looking for this. Then they keep unifying uh, rules that they have already discovered, like like the five forces trying to all bring it into one like uh, magnetism and and electronics uh, electronic fields have been unified can you do the same for uh, the uh, nuclear forces and and gravity and if you can then you're kind of compressing right five laws into one and that, that's i don't know that that's been my approach to occam's razor so far yeah i mean you can have a theory and always extend it for special um, circumstances that your data doesn't fit, your predictions doesn't fit the data, and then you just make up a new rule and then it's more complex and explains it, but it's yeah. it's less, less powerful. It's like in language, uh, there are rules, you learn grammar, grammar rules, but there are so many exceptions that uh, I wonder how many rules our brain really uses <laughs> or if we just learn uh, most things by heart um, I wonder if there was a time thousands of years ago when there were less exceptions in languages you know if this is a, a new thing but anyway um, my linguistic side keeps coming out uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's interesting I've I haven't read up too much about grammar uh, grammar and lin linguistics but I think it's a field that's very important to understand. And it's very linked to neurology. Yeah, yeah, and philosophy and psychology. Um, I remember in my very first tutorial lesson at university, uh, I was told thinking is language. Because we, before we got into the studies, uh, a lot of us thought language is communication, you know, it's it's, words it's print it's sounds mm. but it's so much more it's it when i was talking about the language faculty of the brain that is something not separate from all the other brain faculties it is very fundamental to how we think about ourselves uh you know not just how we talk about things but also like you said in the beginning how we talk to ourselves about things uh, yeah. it's, it's very conceptual and fundamental, not just communication. 
That's why it's and, a window into many other disciplines. And in uh, with Newspeak, they often say like if you don't have words, if you aren't allowed to use certain words or something, um, it changes how you think about things. You're talking about 1984, right? Yeah. I, I still have to read it, uh, but I know the, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah or, or the same with Fahrenheit 451, right? Uh, if you burn enough books, then the ideas in those books will get lost after enough time. And mm. I think it's true, it's a very scary thought, but it seems to be the case. Uh, we, keep, we keep losing knowledge of things and having to reinvent them. For example, um, some architectural things are unexplainable by even today's standards. Uh, I'm thinking of Aztec and Egyptian pyramids. They have some very special attributes that we can barely understand with our knowledge about cosmology. And somehow they were able to predict, um, I don't know, the movement of, of the planets and the stars very precisely. Um, I don't remember all the other special things about those, those buildings, um, but also the writings on the walls are not always uh, explainable by our current thinking. So the scientific method is only one method. It might not be the, the uh, ultimate way of discovering or describing truth. I think we talked about this on the last podcast. There were other what they call paradigm shifts. We had alchemy, for example, and it explained some things, but it wasn't as powerful as the scientific method. And of course, there could be more. Who knows? It's impossible to prove a true thing. It's only possible to falsify. And you can also only falsify if the scientific method is the best or not. You can't know if it's the best. Yeah. Um, another thing that I noticed earlier is when you talked about is something internally um, harmonious, uh, you know, true, uh, not uh, contradictory. Or is it also externally contradictory? And I wonder if that distinction is artificial. <laughs> no? um, the, with internal, I mean, if, for example, you have a theory that uh, it's hard to come up with something on the spot, but uh, you have some theory and it can be immediately thrown out if it's not internally consistent, if mm -hmm. it contradicts itself yeah. logically. And if it's um, internally consistent, if it doesn't contradict itself logically, it can still contradict with empirical data. Like you, you have a theory and it's, uh, it's great. It works great. For example, communism, in my opinion, is a great uh, theory that works in itself. It doesn't really contradict itself, mm -hmm. but if you try to apply it in real life and you um, get the real life data, it doesn't seem to work. It, okay. it, it contradicts with the empirical data. That's what I mean with internal and external. Internal okay. to the theory and external with the external world. Okay, I see. I, I guess, okay, I guess my misconception was that... Um, you meant with mental and... Instead of talking about, instead of applying it to reality, I was saying applying it to established models of reality. Because mm -hmm. I'm not sure if, if reality uses logic, you know, I, mm -hmm. to be on the safe side, I only assume that 
humans apply logic to reality. Yeah. I, I don't know. If you, if you believe in intelligent design, you know, that someone, a human or something like a human is the cause for reality and the way it is, then, okay, it's, it's very likely that there is a, a logic behind it. But maybe um, all of the rules that we come up with, the, the models are totally artificial. You know, even though they're correct, it doesn't have to mean that they are explanatory. You know, the difference between description and explanation? Yeah, there's also the map and territory comparison. Like the map is not the territory. Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the right one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had, we have multiple explanations. We have multiple theories for the same thing and they can't all be this, the intrinsic working of the universe at the same time. It can't be both of them, for example. But do you so, believe that there's any rule that the universe works by? I think it's impossible to know how the universe really works. But mm -hmm. like I said in the beginning, we kind of play this game that it follows some rules, that it yeah. always behaves in some way. Otherwise, we wouldn't even interact with it if we couldn't know that it that tomorrow the sun goes up again or something. Yeah, but that's something that we need and something that we do. But I wonder if it's really only on our side and, and not uh, a description. You know, we, we say that um, a rule is true, but that doesn't mean it really describes the reality. It only means that when you apply it to reality, you get back the result that it's not contradictory. And so in my mind, those can be two separate things. I personally believe in intelligent design, but I think in it philosophically, I, I need to be very careful. But don't you think that even if the world or the universe is intelligently designed, that it, I mean, it still does follow rules and the sun still goes up every morning. It seems to be, yeah. Do you, have you heard of occasionalism? No. That is the, the thought that um, maybe everything is random and uh, the, the rules are only a coincidence. Um, and that every instant, I, I mean, th this would have a, a huge um, consequence. That would mean that if, if you think of the universe as, as particles being in motion, it would mean that from one instant to the next, there is no causal connection and the position and movement of every particle in the universe is random in every instant. And we're just living in one big coincidence and the rules only seem to be rules. I think at least that's occasionalism, you know, that, that you are experiencing an occasion, not something that can be reduced or, or compressed into a rule. You know, I found a pattern. It just happens to be that way. I'm not sure if it's related, but I've also often thought about the interesting thing about uh, uh, what do we say? How do you say it in English? There's flies that only live one day. Yeah. And um, a fly that only lives one day could have no idea about mm -hmm. the seasons, mm -hmm. for example. 
and maybe we do live in one of those seasons and tomorrow the sun doesn't go up. Maybe tomorrow gravity reverses, who knows? Yeah, I think that's a very similar thought, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I think uh, it's interesting. I, we can sometimes make life too simple by having too much of a closed world perspective and just believing that there is a rule for everything and I or we as humanity already have 90% of all the rules we need to explain everything. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's very ignorant. I mean, yeah. uh, the more we learn about the universe, the more we understand how little we know about it. Um, yes. It's kind of like the, the, the deeper you, you travel into the universe, the more it expands. Yeah. And, um... When we talk about universe, I often think about the planetary systems and so on, like the far view. And we talked earlier about Occam's razor. And if we if we find something that doesn't fit our models, we just extend it. And I think uh, dark matter is a perfect example. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like our models didn't fit. And then we have this dark matter. We can't see it. We can't sense it in any way, but it has to be there. And it's 80% of the universe or whatever. So I, I think don't know much about it. Is, is that, uh, is that we, we can indirectly know that it's there because of gravitational effects? I mean, it's basically, we have models of the universe and in some parts of the universe, it doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. And then we predict there has to be something with very strong gravitation in these spots. We don't see it, we don't know anything about it, but it has to be there. Does this include black holes? No, I don't think so. Because the theory on that is pretty, you know, established. I think dark matter is just, it's not dark. It's, it's not visible. It's, yeah. they say just that, uh, that it's there and that it has incredible mass. Yeah. So it would be good to just be very careful about, uh, what you say, not that, um, we know something like dark matter exists, but to be more, um, careful and just, just name the things that we do know. For example, that, that the current theory is not explanatory of everything, uh, yeah. but that the, the mass of the universe needs to be, needs to have a different uh, property than the mass that we're aware of to make our theory more plausible or. Yeah. The theory we have right now isn't perfect, obviously. There's something missing. Okay, so right now the the add-on to the current theory is just to say that there's something with mass and it's necessary to make our theory work. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Huh. And last time we talked about um, string theory and how it's not falsifiable. Mm -hmm. And there's also just, I mean, they, they are probably all internally consistent. Yeah but we can't test if they're externally consistent, if they're empirical. Right. And if we could just waste our time and just make up more rules and <laughs> go deeper into this field and yeah. yeah. No, fortunately there are lots of scientists who are not content <laughs> with string theory, uh, mm. explaining everything and want something more empirical, more provable. 
Wow. Yeah, we have gone from what the brain and knowability to to the universe to uh, scientific methods. I think it's important to always realize that we are still very emotional beings. That um, even even you and I, who are um, INTP in the Myers Briggs personality categories, um, have emotions and fears and don't want to go everywhere with our thoughts, but have our limits. Um, but we're also very curious and we need to somehow approach our lives and our surroundings from several perspectives to, uh, to make more sense of it and to, to function well. And I, I think that's, that's one of the mm, purposes of the podcast to, to exchange uh, perspectives and to enrich each other in the process. And, and that's what I feel we're doing. So thank you again for today. And I'm sure we are not finished with uh, the list of topics that you um, gave me in the past uh, that you want to discuss. I, I know there's, there's plenty more uh, you could discuss. And so I hope you come back. Thank you for having me.